Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 185 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's been a chilly old week, I'm here to advocate you sell some of your honey, and I've had a trip to Milton Keynes to stock up on some honey room equipment. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hello, welcome to my cramped, almost tidy home office where I sit gazing out at the latest shower to pass by. It's great to have your company once again as we drift into the month of November and Guy Fawkes Night. I managed to survive Halloween without too many scares. The Trick or Treat Brigade decided not to visit, so I'm left with a big bag of chocolate goodies to work my way through over the coming week or so. That said, I don't think it's going to last much past the weekend, but I'll do my best to be as restrained as possible. I couldn't possibly start today without jumping straight into a weather update, as we've had some exciting developments. We've had our first frost of the autumn. In fact, two mornings in succession, I've had to scrape the windscreen clear on the truck. It wasn't really too arduous, a thin layer of ice that was quickly removed, but when overnight temperatures have recently been as high as double digits in Celsius, to suddenly wake up to see cars covered in a glaze of ice is something of a surprise. And really, it's about time the temperatures started to fall it marks another switch in our beekeeping calendar and a change in how the bees will behave. The feeding frenzy of the past month will now change into a more subdued conservationist approach, survival of the colony with what stores and bees they have. Once again, the two major focuses on doing anything in my beekeeping world are at the fore, bees and resources. With any luck, you're in a position not too dissimilar to me. Colonies well fed and for the most part full of bees. Now is the time to get the last of the feeders off, the mouse guards on and settle down for the coming weeks and months. At least that's the setup that we find ourselves in here at the Norfolk Honey Company. The next week or two we'll see most of the feeders come off and get washed, rinsed and stacked, although the honey poor poly feeders will remain on the hives all winter. The reason for this is twofold really. They give a layer of extra insulation at the base of the feeder, which is useful if not totally necessary, but the feeders also act as a makeshift eek for late winter feeding should I need it. I flip them over and pop fondant beneath the open space directly on the top bars of the brood frames. This helps to trap some warmer air above the brood box and also means I don't have to make up and store additional eeks for the Langstroth hives. I just don't have the room. Everything else will have the feeders removed and any additional fondant for the winter will be placed above the crime boards. Now I know a lot of beekeepers like to put the fondant directly onto the top bars of their frames, 
but I've always found that colonies are able to move up to the fondant and make use of it above the crime board. So again, I don't need a vast number of eeks for all of my colonies in order to feed fondant over the winter. I hope you've managed to get your bees prepared for the winter months. I think the late warmth we've had has allowed the colonies to pack away lots of food stores. So that shouldn't really be a problem. And if colonies are queen right, there shouldn't be a great deal to worry about. I know, having said there's nothing to worry about, I know that some of you will already be worrying and trying to second guess if what you have or haven't done is the right thing or if you've made a mess of things. That's just beekeeping, I'm afraid. It does get a little easier when you have a number of colonies, but if you're sat with just one or two, it can be a nervous wait. I often say how lucky I am having the number of colonies that I have. A mistake here and there is frustrating and annoying, especially if it leads to a dead colony, because it's lost income. So there's no enjoyment to be had, but with around 100 plus colonies going into these colder months, it isn't such a big issue for me if we lose a few because spring splits will soon allow us to rebuild and some would say if a colony can't survive winter then it probably shouldn't have been in the hive in the first place, meaning it should have been shaken out or united with something else. That said, if you only have one colony, or maybe two or three, ten even, each colony is really precious to you and you're likely to do all you can to try to get them through into the next spring. I remember thinking increasing colonies seemed so difficult back when I was just starting out, but actually it is really quite simple. Experience will teach you when to split and more importantly when not to split and soon you'll find yourself with too many colonies. For now though, wrap them in cotton wool and ease them through the winter. Just for clarification, don't literally wrap them in cotton wool. It was just an expression. While we're on that point, I don't wrap my hives in anything, apart from some chicken wire, if I think woodpeckers are going to be a problem. But other than that, it's just single-skinned wooden hives or the more recent poly hives. I've never felt the need to use additional insulation, and the colonies all behave in different ways. I suspect that this is down to genetics, and although I've collated no specific information, I regularly have colonies that perform fantastically well in the spring, having survived and even flourished through late winter, housed in both wooden and poly boxes. And I've had colonies die out for no apparent reason, again, in both types of material. Sometimes you just lose a colony because, well, they just die. No fault of the beekeeper. And as I say, I think it's just down to genetics. Keep a watchful eye on your colonies. If you do lose any, get them closed up and cleaned out as soon as practically possible. Changing the subject now, I wanted to mention selling honey. Let's face it, we spend a small fortune on our bees, various bits of kit, treatments, more kit. In fact, the costs just seem to keep going up. Add to that the increases in fuel and heating costs, and it's getting really expensive. So, even if you only have one hive, it makes sense to produce a little spare honey to sell and maybe offset the cost of your beekeeping. Even if you only want to keep the bees for the pleasure of keeping them and not normally take any honey. People love local honey, 
And more and more of us are trying to think of our carbon footprint and buying more sustainably. There are a few things you need to do to make sure you're doing it right, but once you have those nailed, it's not that tricky. In fact, it's really rewarding. Things to consider then. Hygiene. How and where are you extracting and bottling your honey? At home, the kitchen is perfect. Close the door, keep the cats out and wash everything down before you begin. Another consideration is labelling. It can be overly complicated, but there are some great local authority websites out there with the rules set out as they see them. This is really important because interpretation is everything and different local authorities interpret the rules slightly differently. Get yourself some certified scales for weighing out the honey and you're pretty much sorted. Anything you have to buy, like jars, labels, scales, that kind of thing, will be paid for in your first few weeks of selling. And you're off! We need more beekeepers selling their honey locally and we also need those beekeepers to understand the value of their honey. Don't go selling it at supermarket prices. You know how much work you and your bees have put in to create the stuff, just don't give it away. For reference, I sell mine currently for £5.99 retail for a 350 gram jar, and I've never had anyone say that's too much. In fact, some say it's underpriced. Now, your local price will probably vary, so do check to see what others are selling their honey for, and whatever you do, don't start a price war by undercutting other beekeepers. You'll only end up giving it away, upsetting your fellow beekeepers, and end up selling all of your honey really cheaply. If you're looking for more regular sales through a number of local stockists, then you're going to have to come up with a local wholesale price. Again, it will vary across the country, so carry out some research first. I do get asked how I go about finding stockists for my honey, as a lot of shops already have several local beekeepers selling their honey in those shops. It's all about being friendly and approachable. If you can't manage that, maybe wear a bee suit when you go into the shop next time and strike up a conversation. If you're looking to build your beekeeping into a business, then having a website really helps to get your name out there, and it's a vital point of contact for prospective stockists. I am approached regularly by shops via my website, and one of the most usual conversations is that they had a beekeeper who supplied them, but he's run out of honey, and they're looking for a more reliable supply. I have some advice for you here. It's served me well, but it does need some amount of patience. Only sell to the number of shops that you can guarantee a constant supply of honey to all year round. It's very tempting to go out all excited and hopeful, having produced a couple of hundred kilos of honey and set up multiple stockists, only to find that they get really busy selling your honey and you've sold out after three months. Far better to find one or two shops and keep them happy, build a relationship and guarantee that they have a constant supply of your honey going into them. Next season, you might find you produce 750 kilos of honey and so you can increase your stockists with confidence. Just don't let them down. If you do, I'm waiting in the wings for their call. To give you an example of how I approach a new prospective stockist, I actually stopped off this week at a new local shop selling cakes and fresh pizzas. Kind of strange sounding combination, but I wanted to give my support to another local business and they're just round the corner. 
I went in, bought a cake and some mixed olives. As I say, they do have a strange mix of products at the moment, but a big smile and a friendly word about how I hope they're going to be really successful was greeted by a returning friendly smile and I started a conversation. What were they intending to sell? How was it going? How often were they selling pizzas? It's one of my favourites after all. Do they make honey cake? There it is, my lead into telling them all about myself. They don't make honey cake. Well, they should. It's fantastic. Why do I know so much about honey cakes? Well, and so it went. I'm back with samples and a first order will be guaranteed tomorrow. It's as simple as that. Sometimes it's not so simple. Sometimes it is hard work. And for those moments, I've learned to simply walk away. I was contacted via email once by a local company who were really interested in buying my honey. I sent multiple emails back and forth, discussed prices and terms, drove over to them and spent time explaining the different types of honey with samples for them to try, only for the owner to say, that's really lovely, but I'm not going to pay those prices. He felt he could tell me what I was going to price my honey at. He promised high volume sales and for some that might be great but for me it was almost insulting. I stood up, picked up my honey and walked away. Since that encounter I've come up with so many one-liners that I would have liked to have thrown back at him but I'm never very good at thinking what to say on the spur of the moment so I left without really saying anything. Rejection can be painful but rather that than giving your honey away for no reward. Finally, I spent a delightful day this week driving to Milton Keynes of all places and back to collect a stainless steel table and some metal cage trolleys that I won in an auction. I've been trying to build up the honey room into a stainless steel environmentally clean workspace but it can be really quite expensive and this was an opportunity to get some kit on a more cost-effective basis. Yes, it cost a fair amount for the fuel, but taking that into account, it still meant we got the equipment for a really good price. The cages are great. It turns out that they're the metal ones that milk cartons are moved around in, and so can take quite a bit of weight. In fact, looking online, they take 80 lots of 2-litre cartons, something like 40 kilos on each shelf, perfect for stacking jars of honey on. The downside is it's all going to need a bit of work with some kind of degreasant. It came from a large commercial bakery that had closed and although the sign on the door said it had a five-star hygiene rating, everything seemed to be covered in a layer of grease. Oh well, rubber gloves and wash bucket at the ready. It is that time of year. Cleaning, washing, scrubbing and repeat. Watch out for the video from the honey room and I'll show you what I've bought. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Bye.